0: My name is Bart and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 18th, 1973. I think. I think. And, and I, I say that not because I want you to think that, I, that I've done anything special by staying sober. All I did was not drink and not die. And, uh, you know, that's all, that's all I've really done in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I don't know the exact date because by the time I got to that day or around that day, I had been in Alcoholics Anonymous for a little while. I came in just after somewhere around January 1st or 2nd. Um, And uh, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous after the end of a very long career in drinking. I felt different from the time I was born, I moved around about 15 times or so between the time I was born and, and 15, and I never really fit anywhere I belonged. I uh, discovered where I belonged, or I discovered the peace of belonging in my uh, grandfather's liquor cabinet when I was 12. And I had the first drink that went through me, like, a, like into the, my stomach, and this just incredible feeling of like, oh my god, this is the answer, you know. And, and uh, I'm not going to tell you I immediately was an alcoholic, but I will tell you that at, wherever I was, 18, I, uh, I went to college in Brooklyn because I knew you could drink in, in New York City at 18. And I went through three roommates to get a roommate like, that drank like I did, and uh, his name was Jack, and we used to buy these typhoon fifths of sake to drink, and I discovered Rose's Bar and Grill in Brooklyn, New York, which was a sawdust on the floor place where drunks went to drink. And I would drink boilermakers that would cost like 15 cents for a shot and 10 cents for a, a beer, and, and I would and nobody would fuck left with me. So. <laughs> okay. And they sold pig knuckles. you know I remember that. Uh, not that I ever ate any, but I looked at them, and they kept looking at me, and uh, uh, they' here. But they closed the bar for half an hour between uh, 5.30 and 6 to sweep out the sawdust and to kick anybody else out that was there. And I belonged there. You know, that's where I belonged. I felt at home in Rose's Bar and Grill. uh, Because nobody messed with me. Nobody asked me any questions. Nobody bothered me. I could drink as much as I want. And everybody left me alone. Needless to say, they did not ask me to come back to that college after that first year. Because I had spent more time in Rose's Bar and Grill than I had studying. So they didn't bother to ask me to come back. So I decided I would, um, I, I wound up being up in a place in Massachusetts where my family was, unfortunately, and they—my uh, uncle took one look at me and said, uh, "Well, why don't you take care of your military obligation?" And it was some like some kind of Zen koan kind of thing, and it just messed with my head so much I didn't realize up until that moment that I had a military obligation, <laughs> and I—I—I I, 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 I went to the—I went to the—to the you know place where they. Get those people and, you know, put them in the military in Buzzards Bay, Massachusetts. And I went in the first door and it was the Coast Guard. And I went, I'm going to go in the Coast Guard because then I can be near where I live with my family. I be that'll be great. And I walked in, they said, you no, you can't be in the Coast Guard because you wear glasses. And I said, well, that's, that's interesting. So the next door down was the United States Navy. And I'm glad it wasn't the Marines, but it was the United States Navy. And, and, they said, and they said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a journalist because I wrote poetry, man. I was cool. I was cool. <laughs> okay. And they said, well, you can't write poetry because you can't type more than 40. You can't type 40 words a minute. I said, that's no, I can't. You're right. They said, what else do you like? I said, well, I like people, which was Bullshit, I didn't like people, I, they, you bothered me. If you, you know, you you, you know you got in my way, you know, you, you told me I shouldn't do things or I should do things. And I, I wasn't interested in any of that. I was interested in sitting in Rose's bar for the rest of my life drinking Boilermakers. However, that was not in the plan. I had to make some money. So I, I joined the Navy and I became a corpsman, for God's sake, why did you become a corpsman? I said, I didn't know what one was, it was a medic. And I, I you know, I, I've been a medic my entire life since that moment, you know. Life is is chances, things that come along, and I I had no idea what I was doing. I I, I wound up in in Bethesda, Maryland, and I would I, at those days I could stay out till two o'clock in the morning, partying with my friends and getting drunk, and then I go to sleep for a couple hours, get up at six o'clock, and go back to work and train and stuff like that. Vietnam came along. I decided I'd go to Vietnam. I you know, I wanted some adventure in my life, and I and I wasn't having any adventure. So I got to Vietnam, and I in early '65, and I'm a medic in Vietnam, and I. And I'm getting loaded, and I'm having fun, and I'm going to bars, and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, it was cool for a while, until I realized that we didn't belong there. And that wasn't so cool. But I do remember um, going to Saigon on an R&R for five days, and uh, going to the bar, and getting so drunk that at... Ten minutes to twelve. I had to run outdoors and tell a low cab driver to take me away because I was going to miss curfew and I would go in the slammer. I didn't want to go in the slammer, so I said, take, "Take me away." And he took me away and, and he put me in the middle of Saigon in a tin shack where I have a 45 and like 12 rounds on me. And I learned there uh, the, the 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 relativity of alcoholism and drunkenness and and getting loaded because I was I was immediately. Sober, okay, and I was I was shaking because I was sure that they were going to kill me, and I could only hear Vietnamese voices. And needless to say, they didn't, because I'm still here. Uh, My alcoholism began to progress, though. At that particular point, I uh, I got out honorably, and um, my alcoholism started to 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 kick in when I came back home. Um, I uh, went through some terrible relationships um, with a delightful daughter who was born in one of them, and, and we're still friends. But unfortunately, uh, uh, just before her mother very thoughtfully left, I came home one night in a drunken rage and I hit my three-year-old daughter in the face in a drunken rage. And if you had put a gun to my head up to that point and said, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna hit a child in your drunken rage, I said, you know, you're full of shit. Wouldn't happen, couldn't happen. But it did happen. And what I learned, what I began to learn about my alcoholism was, I cannot predict my behavior when I pick up a drink. I do not know where I'm going to wind up, and like many of us in this room, I have wound up in some pretty crappy places. Okay, so that was one of the crappy places that I that I wound up, Um, and you know, and there were others. And I mean, I remember. I dated a nurse for a while. I was working. I still. I had a job when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. For crying out loud, I still don't know how, but I did. And uh, I, I was dating a nurse at the time. And and she said at one point, she said, uh, you know, after coming, I came to one morning, and she said, I don't ever want you to do what you did to me last night. And to this day, fifty, 50 some years later, I don't have a clue what she was talking about. Okay. Um. I. I had a. I, I went to, to a place called the Center for Special Problems in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco. It's a very cool place to live. And I li- went to the Center for Special Problems because I'm special. You know? Wouldn't you go to the Center for Special Problems if you had a problem? And I went to group therapy with a very famous psychologist. And he, he went going around this group and everybody's talking. all of a sudden I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to tell the truth for a change. Because I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm a liar, cheat, and a thief. And I'm still a liar. All these years, uh, uh, with sobriety under my belt, I'm still a liar. I'm still a cheat. I'm still a thief. I just don't do it as much, okay? And I mostly lie to myself and not to anybody else. There's more about that later. So I, I, said, I said, you know, I think I might have a problem with alcohol. And they said, well, you know, where do you drink? And I said, do well, I, I drink out in the park, you know, overlooking Golden Gate. Now, what kind of, living? I thought, where do you drink? And they said, well, don't you drink with your friends? And I went, oh, I can never talk to these people again. I don't have any friends. I've gone to bed with their wives. I've stolen their car. I owe them money. I've puked on them. I don't have any. What kind of people are they that have friends? No, I don't know. I don't know who these people are. So I had, you know, I thought, oh, this, I'm done for. If I can't get help from the Center for Special Problems, I got, I, I'm really in trouble. And I gotta tell you, what happened to me was that I came home to my little room where I could barely get up the two flights of stairs. And my cats would take pictures of me when I went away from the weekend. And they'd go through like 20 different pictures overall, all, you know, and they, they would pull one of them out and they'd, they'd, chomp around the edges and they leave it in the middle of the floor because i would abandon them for a weekend without any food or water and they were pissed like everybody else in my life was pissed i had to be alone before i came to alcoholics anonymous i had to look in the mirror and go nobody is responsible for where you are except you that was you know and i so i get to my house one night or one afternoon and i turn the radio on and I've never turned on this radio station before and it was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on the air. Not only that, it was at the beginning of the half of the, an hour. So I listened to a whole hour of you talking about me, of you telling me about how I was when I went to the liquor store and would walk back through the alley with my liquor so that nobody would see me. Like everybody gave a crap, you know? Like, that, that you talked about me, who at, at one point at 10 minutes to two, when they were gonna close the liquor store at two, I came out and dropped my bottle and it broke, and I got to my knees to pick up that extra piece of glass so I could get that alcohol to me. That's where my alcoholism took me. That's where it takes me. That's where it'll take me again. I'm an alcoholic. I cannot stay sober by myself. I don't know how to do it. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I gotta say, they told me, I called up. Who answered the phone? A guy named Bill, for God's sakes. Bill A. was his name. And he did the magic, the magic. The reason we're all here tonight. He told me what he did. He didn't tell me what to do. Because if he had told me what to do, I would have said, eh, I'm going to Rosa's Bar and Grill and spent my last hundred bucks. I'm going to die there. And I don't care. I just want to be alone. I don't want to be with anybody else. But he didn't. He told me what he did. It was magic. And he said, you know, there's a meeting on Thursday at, at, uh, at eight, 7 o'clock, and it's in a church. I said, no kidding, it's in a church now. I, I know after all these years, of course it's in a church. But I said, you I know, he said, do you want to ride? And I said, I got here by myself, I'll get here to the meeting. And I stood across the meeting, I got across the street. And I watched you wonderful women walk into the meeting. And I knew so much about alcoholism. I watched you women walk into the meeting. And I went, women alcoholics? I didn't know there were women alcoholics. How could there be women alcoholics? I thought it was only guys. You know, and I walked into that meeting and I was the youngest person at that meeting, 29 years old, the youngest person at that meeting. This is my story and only my story. I have no original information. I cannot and and I just got to tell it the way it is. I was the youngest person at that meeting. The second meeting I went to, Joni came in. I was 29. She was younger than 29, quite a bit. And Joni and I hooked up. And we stayed hooked up for a year and a half. And God bless her, both Joni and I are still sober today. I'm not telling you it's the right thing to do. I will just tell you this. I don't know that there's a wrong way to do Alcoholics Anonymous. Not drinking is preferable, but even that's not essential. You know, as Rod said, the thing that is most important is that I keep coming back. Now, I have not had a drink or used from just a very short period of time after that because I am a very smart guy. I don't know if you realize that yet, but I'm very smart. Uh, you know, I went, to, I went to half a year of college, for God's sakes. So, so, so I, uh, I, I, I figured out Alcoholics Anonymous after two weeks. Two weeks, that's all it took me. I don't know how long it takes you, because that's all it took me. I figured out Alcoholics Anonymous after two weeks, and I got called to do a 12-step call. By a guy who was a, <laughs> I, I can't make this shit up. I'm sorry. He was a he was a Ph.D. alcoholism counselor, and he wanted me to come and twelve step him. So I decided, well, I, I don't need anybody else. I know all about alcohol. It's not a mess. I'll just go. I'll you know. i I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the whole situation. So I get there and this wonderful mind of mine, who loves me so much, tells me that I should take a drink so that I will get drunk and I will show him what a drunk looks like so he won't want a drink. (laughs) That is how much my mind was trying to kill me. Okay, that's how much this mind can be trusted with my alcoholism. Okay. When I came to the next morning, I called out I called the VA hospital where I worked and I lied to them. Now, I got to tell you that before that I had lied to the VA hospital hundreds of times. But you guys in that short 2 weeks has really screwed up my lying. All right? And I felt guilty. And I hadn't felt guilty about lying and I can you couldn't even remember when. Okay. So I go to the alcohol, I go, I, I, go God, I gotta do something, I gotta, I gotta go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I gotta do something, this is not working, and I'm sitting in the Alano Club in San Francisco, the tears are coming out of my eyes, I'm trying to read the big book, I go up to this guy who has 30 years on Skid Row, is sober for three years, and he has something that I want, and I can't get. And I said to him, I said, I don't know how to stay sober. I can get sober, but I can't stay sober. What the hell do I do? And he said, sit down and shut the fuck up. And I don't know if anybody has ever talked at me like that. And I can promise you that up until that time, I would never have listened to anybody talk to me like that. But I knew that I was talking to an expert. Okay? And just like that expert, my sponsor was an expert. I didn't believe in God, I didn't believe in anything. I believed in Joni. Okay? What can I tell you? That's what I believed in. And then coming back. And and some of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I got a sponsor. I wound up with a sponsor who who had been (laughs) fired from a Skid Row job at the Tenderloin Hotel in San Francisco because he was a drunk. And went to move in with his sponsor because he couldn't, he didn't have any money and no place else to go. And he was sober, and he had been sober for quite a while at that point. So anything you hear from me, you're hearing from him. Les, Les P, and Hal, Hal G, later on another sponsor. Thank God I picked him, because what he did was the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. He taught me all about Alcoholics Anonymous. He dragged my, well he didn't drag my hand, but he said, get in the car. And I said, I don't want to go in the car. What should I go in the car for? He said, don't ask any questions. Get in the car. I said, okay, I'll get in the car. Where are we going? So said, we're going to prison. Why are we going to prison? Because you're taking an AA meeting into prison. I said, why are we taking an AA meeting in prison? He said, because you don't want to drink. And I went, you're right, I don't. I learned how to tell the truth in Alcoholics Anonymous in prison of all places. I had been in jail. I had been, I had been back in the... <laughs> In, the, in a rent-a-car, in a rent-a-cop-car with handcuffed in the back. You know, they should have beat the crap out of me the way I treated them, for God's sakes. You know, so all of a sudden I'm in prison and I'm trying to, trying to tell my truth, which is that I can't stay sober by myself. I know how to get sober, but I don't know how to stay sober. I know that if I don't pick up one drink a day at a time and I do these simple steps, I follow directions, and I follow somebody else who has some more experience other than mine, and I listen to ideas other than mine that I should be okay. But the minute I start listening to this head, which, as far as I can tell from my experience, is out to kill me, when I start listening to that head, I'm in trouble, because it will tell me black is white, white is black, it's okay to hit a child, it's okay to you know. It's okay to drink and drive. <laughs> okay, it's it's it, it, it's it's a prerequisite for God's sakes. I mean, uh, I well although I did get sober or did drink in those days when they didn't. You know, I, I, I was married to, or living with a lovely Johanna, and we were. I I worked in the yacht club, and I. I, ha- I got paid $300 a month. I knew they wanted me to take the rest of that, what they owed me, in booze. So when I drove home, I would sort of tack back and forth between the, between the telephone poles in Monterey, California. And this cop pulls us up one to, uh, over one time, and he, and he said, uh, you've been drinking? And I said, yeah, I have been drinking. <laughs> and he said to Johanna, he said, he said, what about you? Can you drive? And she said, yes, I can. And he said, didn't you drive? And what did I do? I was an asshole to her. I told her how terrible it was that she would drive. How wrong it was that she would drive. Thank God she's forgiven me. Thank God I've, I've made my amends in that area. And I used to think that he had done me a favor. He didn't do me a favor. I should have gone to jail where I belonged. I should have been put away till I could get out and live a sober, normal life. Thanks for letting me share. Hey.